Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Joining us tonight for Nightlife News Breakdown is uh, Phil Curry. Phil, good evening and welcome to Nightlife. Good evening, Phil. Good to be on. Well, where is the government at at the moment? We've got the budget, the budget coming up. We've got uh, the government doing what governments often do, float things at this time of the year, put balls in the air. Uh, subsequently, usually, the usual pattern of this is to say, uh, oh, we're thinking about doing this. And, of course, later on saying, oh, no, we were never thinking of that at all. That was never, yes. that was never going to happen. <laughs> and there seems to be some softening up. We've talked about it a bit this week, but uh, there seems to be some softening up on superannuation this week. Uh, the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, claiming that he uh, wanted to end the super wars once and for all mm. and make sure that future change to the system are compatible with its very objective. Uh, and even the shadow treasurer, Angus Taylor, reckons this, all this means is that, in fact, a new super war has begun. What's the mm. government trying to do here? Because they're not saying what they're actually going to do. In fact, they're not even saying what they are going to do at all. But they are, well, at some political risk, I'd thought, I would think, introducing some uncertainty into the air of something that's pretty dear to the hearts of Australians. How are you reading it? Yeah, look, very much so, Phil. I mean, you know, the thing with the Treasury, he's always looking for a conflict, I think, that he needs to solve. And he gave a speech on Monday in which he said, you know, the super wars must end. But I think he, I think it is correct to say he probably started one. Um, yeah, they've, well, what he said, they were, going to, they were going to do two things. They were going, they're going to legislate the purpose of superannuation. Now, we've had, you know, the super system in now for 31 years, you know, the compulsory system. And so it's a bit odd, and even now we're still trying to work out what it's for. But what, what that what that does, it, it, it aims to prevent a repeat of what we saw during the COVID pandemic of when the, the government allowed people to withdraw super early. Um, and Labor thought that was a disaster, even though they supported it at the time because they were sort of trying to do the right thing in, in, in all the madness. Uh, they, they, never, they never really liked it. So it's mainly to sort of stop that ever happening again. And the Coalition has a policy at the moment. Peter Dutton uh, has promised that if he gets elected, you could still withdraw super to buy your first home so long as when you sold that home uh, you returned the portion plus the earning back into your super account. So Labor opposes that. So what Chalmers was doing principally was trying to stop that ever happening and that was what he thought was the super war. But what what he also threw into the speech was... um, you know, this, oh, we need to have a national conversation, which which I think is just a really lazy term. It gets used too much in politics and business. It's, it's people looking for someone, you know, you know what you want, but you want someone else to articulate it for you. But he said, we need this national conversation on the tax concessions that, you know, that, that we all get on our superannuation. And that's part of the compact, you know, if you're forced if you're compelled to put aside a portion of your income for the entirety of your working life, the deal that Paul Keating struck was that you get that get to put that away at a concessional rate, so you can save for your retirement. But you know those tax concessions, you know they, they, they're they're worth a lot, and the government's looking for revenue. They want to you know pay for all the things that they've got to pay for, and so um, the treasurer you know, set that hair running. Now the danger with that, Phil, is that we all pay super. Right? <laughs> we will, we'll, mm-hmm. all twelve or thirteen million of us who work. Have super accounts, and it just scares people, especially especially people who are you know in their fifties, you know, getting towards retirement, and thinking, really, here we go again. They're tinkering with the super system. I don't think there's a country in the world that messes around with its retirement system as much as this country. Um, and look, it took a few days, but the government sort of has started to clarify. Look, all they're going to do, all they want to do is 
you know, if someone's got sort of three million or more in their account, then they shouldn't get sort of concessional tax treatment over that three million. <laughs> something, but, but, something, something they could have said right at the beginning. Well, well, well exactly. Now, look, it's they haven't sort of you know confirmed that, but they've hinted heavily. But mm. the, the trouble is when, as you said, you fly the kite. You know, you, 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 people start. You just sort of say everything's on the table, or we're going to have a national conversation. People are going to fill in the gaps, and 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 and, and the problem with Labor, the problem Labor has, that even going into the last election. There was still a strong element of suspicion about, you know, because of that legacy, that policy uh, platform they took to 2019 election with franking credits and negative gearing and those sorts of things, that, yeah, they would be doing that again. And this came up in the focus groups time and again before the election. So the pump was already primed, if you like, in terms of suspicion. And, and I think what the Treasurer's done, you know, he, he, good on him for thinking, you know, thinking through things and, you know, trying to soften us up for some tough decisions to sort of pull back on, you know, pull back on the budget and try and balance it. But at the same time, I think mm. he's just sort of created needless anxiety and and uh, we didn't have to. Yeah, you wonder you wonder politically why, in a sense, too. The Prime mm. Minister, Mr Albanese, I mean, not, normally what happens here, of course, is the, the Treasurer floats and then the Prime Minister comes mm. along... Um, Mm. Uh, Deus Ex Machina a bit later on and says, oh, no, 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 that was never going to happen. Sorry about that. Yes, 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 I shouldn't let the Treasurer speak. Uh, And Mr Albanese was kind of trying to do a bit of that uh, and and trying to deflect criticism that he was softening Mm. up the electorate for big-scale changes. This is what he said. There's nothing uh, that impacts uh, the sustainability of the system from punters out there who've got $150,000 in their accounts. Uh, You know, that's not... Uh, an issue at all. Well, yeah, because I mean, average mm. super accounts, as we know, are more like hundred to two hundred. That's it's not a lot. Angus Taylor, the opposition treasury spokesman, was on ABC News Breakfast TV, and Lisa Miller put this question to him about the equity of super tax concessions, mm. and he did sound a little stumped by it. Why should people, though, who have uh, pretty large amounts in super, say in excess of five million dollars, be still getting? the tax concessions when so many other Australians are struggling right at the moment? Well, Labor's talking about taxing super more. There's lots of different kites that have been flying. Lisa, well, they're it's talking very hard about to capping the concessions, something. though. Well, yes, but I don't know what concessions and I don't know what level and there's all sorts of issues in all of that. But what I would say is this. Um, the starting point is this is Australians' money and Labor made a commitment before the last election, the Prime Minister made an unambiguous commitment before the last election. He wasn't going to run around changing the rules on super. Uh, Australians heard that. Uh, they voted on that basis. And so it's a very, very important starting point that that's what this government promised. Now, flying kites on all the things they might want to do with super, whether it's taxing or spending uh, on pet projects, uh, is completely inconsistent with what we heard from the Prime Minister before the election. Yeah, Phil. I mean, this this floating of kind of this this kind of uh, floating of class warfare things. You know, like mm. you know, be envious of people who got too much money. And we, uh, this this was this was something Labor used to do. I wasn't sure that they were still into it. But are they? Yeah. Oh, look, look, look. They, they they sort of walked that fine line between seem to be aspirational, but having to, um, you know, having to sort of look after the you know, the, 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 the downtrodden and so forth. Mm. But there's two, there's two points there to that to that exchange. One is I I don't think it is. You know, I don't think it is reasonable if you've got three, four, five million bucks that you get preferential tax treatment. But hardly you know, anybody. But hardly anybody. No, has. But, well, that's the thing. We're only talking a handful of people, so um, 
you know, a few thousand. I think it's thirty-six thousand people would be affected if you capped it at, uh, yeah, if you, if you bought in, if you got rid of tax treatment over three million, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd still get the same, you'd still get the same tax regime, you know, that, that you get now up to three million. And I don't think, you know, anyone's going to complain too much. But the second point that Mr. Taylor raised is more, more one of principle. Um, yeah, the Labor made a promise before the election they wouldn't mess with super, right? So now, remember, Labor went to that election. A large part of Anthony Albanese's um, you know, pitch was integrity, transparency, being up front, not being Scott Morrison. I'm not going to be Scott Morrison. I'm going to tell the truth. You know, we're going to tell you what we're going to do before the election, not afterwards. So it just... Now, even though you know it's a broken promise, you know it would still constitute a broken promise, even though it affects a few people, and that sort of there's an integrity problem there. Yeah. What 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 Chalmers is is really doing, and and he articulated this in an interview he did with us at the Financial Review, well, only a few weeks after the election, is he knows he has to go after this stuff again. He knows he you know he you know, probably will never do franking credits again, um, because that's sort of become like a word choices for the Labor Party. But you know negative gearing capital gains tax, these sorts of tax concessions, um, he, I think he, what he's trying to do is sort of build a case to take a, an agenda to the next election looking for a mandate on some of these things. Mm. And this is what he's going to start 2023 doing. So next week, they'll, they'll release this thing called the Tax Expenditure Statement, which Treasury releases every year. And what it does, it tells you how much negative gearing is worth, you know, in terms of tax concessions, how much CGT on investments is worth, how much super, you know, this sort of stuff. And then and then he'll put down a budget in May and then he's going to release what's called an intergenerational report. And that's only meant to come out every five years. And that forecasts the costs of big budget items over 40 years like Medicare, you know, defence, things like this. So he's trying to sort of, you know, smack us around with some frightening numbers over the next few months to basically say we can't, we're not making enough money to keep up with all the spending demands, right? So, and this is sort of the, this is sort of like a clumsy start to that process, if you like. Now, I think it'd be an honourable thing to do if they really fair dinkum about this, then they should seek a mandate, just as John Howard did, you know, when he broke his never ever promise on the GST. He, he then sought a mandate before he implemented a GST, um, and that would be a more sort of honourable and trustworthy way to do it. But we're sort of tilting its shadows a little bit because we still don't know exactly what they're going to do. But, <laughs> no, um, if, but, but I certainly think made it clear they'll, they'll sort of look at this, this, this $3 million cap at budget time, but I don't think they'll do much beyond that. Mm. But it'll be in their interest to clarify that sooner than later. We shall see anyway. Mm. Um government going into the budget with uh, with these messages. We'll see how they emerge emerge from it. Uh, look, uh, security stuff around this week too. We spoke mm. to Amy Ramikas last night about the startling warning from ASIO boss Mike Burgess, mm. uh, who said that he thought a lot of people weren't taking spying seriously. Is it, you're mm. a Canberra insider as the mm. AFR's correspondent. Yeah, what, is, this, is it a serious threat? Look, again, it's one of these things we're sort of told is, but we're not we're not sort of let inside as to why. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, it's you know, everyone spies on everyone nowadays. All governments spy on each other, don't they? Yeah, yeah and technology has just made it so you know, like it's just so widespread. I mean, everyone around this town, you know, no one texts much anymore. You know, everyone's using Signal and, that, mm. and WhatsApp and encoded apps like that. Mm. Yeah, you know, we all operate on the assumption. I mean, I've got nothing to hide. I don't know anything, anything I know. If it all goes in the paper. So, mm. um, 
but that doesn't stop sort of, you know, people sort of trying to work, you know, pick our brain. So I just operate on the basis that my phone's tapped, even though I text. Or, is that right? <laughs> is that right? So the standard operating thing, what is it? For, well, what is it? People, look, people use the, encoded apps like WhatsApp and Signal, uh, rather yeah. than you wouldn't you wouldn't just do an ordinary text, no. Oh, I do if it's just sort of, oh, you want to catch up after question time and oh, can I come well, down you want to play golf tomorrow morning? Yeah, you're quite, not quite, but, you know, <laughs> you know, have you got a minute? Could, I, could we talk about X, you know, if I'm trying to text a minister or someone like that or an MP? Mm. Um, but even if it's something mildly sensitive or whatever or, um, you know, then, and I know they, they just default to that sort of option all the time. Mm. Um, but it's just, a, it's just, it's just, a, I guess it's just a prudent way to operate, you know, <laughs> just, just assume, you know, that, that someone's, whether it's their own, whether it's ASIO or the Chinese or the Russians or the Iranians or whoever, the Koreans, you know, everyone's into it. So, um, the Israelis, Americans, um, but in terms of spy spying, I mean, it, it is rampant and, 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 it's, and it's so easy to do now because of technology and that, that address that, um, Mike Bird just gave the other night. I think I think he needs to remind us of that because, uh, you know, there's especially with China, for example. I mean, one of the things he, he alluded to was, you know, he just and and this this the, 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 the Malcolm Turnbull used to say this, and, and Scott Morris and others, especially with the business community, they they feel they're a bit naive, you know, because because their imperative is to make money. So often they would pressure the government to sort of relax some of these things uh, that were that were hurting business, um, and there's, there's always this sort of push and pull between national security and and, and commerce. Uh, and I, I, at times I think you know the government suspects businesses that don't sort of take these threats seriously enough. And then we get these cyber attacks, you know, on businesses which sort of drives home again. So look, it is, you know, I think it's just the modern world. It's not it's not unique to Australia. Mm. Uh, every every country grapples with this now. There's so many ways to sort of, you know, listen in and tap and bug and, you know, hack and so forth like that. It's just I think it's just the new normal. Mm. Anyway, no balloons to intercept over northern Australia. Not just, yet. That's just, yeah, no. <laughs> now, now, speaking of regional security and all of that and mm. uh, um, threats from China and whatever, the Prime mm. Minister's um, often trip, they do this from time, well, mm. he's not the, he won't be the first one to do it. The, uh, he's taking chief executives of more than 25 mm. big companies to India, mm. Mm. which has always been touted... Almost everybody said, why, are we, why aren't we better friends with India? Why aren't we making more strategic alliances mm. with India? Why are we closer to India? To which diplomats, seasoned diplomats will say, is because they're not aligned. They're, you know, they don't want to sit with us, really. Where, yeah. where, does, where does India sit with Australia, really? Look, it's a bit like that. They want to be seen as a power in their own right. Um, and, you know, and they were quite, you know, this thing called the Quad that the Prime Minister talked you know, the Quadrilateral mm. Security Dialogue, which is us, India, Japan and the United States. You know, the, India was a, a final reluctant participant in that. And I think they only sort of fell into line when, you know, their own relationship with China became very testy. But look, Phil, India is like the great, it's, oh, no, it's like El Dorado. Right, so it's it, it is in in comparison to China another massive economy or potentially massive economy with a with a with a middle class, a rising middle class with a lot of consumption spending power. So, you know, we saw the rise of China and how rich we got off of China so quickly. But India, you know, people sort of 
like to see as India as the next China, but 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 it's not in so many ways. It's it it, it is a dysfunctional, poverty-ridden, you know, mess most of the time, um, and it's a very difficult economy because it's so protected. You know, you can do free trade agreements with other economies. We've tried to do free trade agreements with India, but you know, for example, in agriculture, they they literally have millions of you know plots, you know, <laughs> which are called farms. You know, but you can't do agriculture deals. Um, so. Government after government is trying to tap into India, um, you know, and tap into the sort of the opportunities, the economic opportunities, but it's a, it's just a it's just a real spaghetti ball, you know, in terms of it's not it's not an easy economy to to get access to because it's so fragmented. And so Albanese is going over there. He, you know, I've, I've been there with Howard. I've been there. I went there with Turnbull. I went there with Abbott. Well, they've all you know, they've all been, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. And and they all talk about trying to do a free trade deal with India. It's it's not doable. You can do sectoral deals like. Education, you know, there's mm. a Indian students coming here and vice versa. There's a, you know, you can do sector by sector type arrangements, but but an economy wide deal is, is is quite impossible. So, you know, Anthony Albanese, you know, the next sort of like next you you have a try, and and slowly they're sort of chipping away into it, and you t- you know it's it's quite standard now to take the CEOs and the vice chancellors and everything on these missions, um, that sort of engenders goodwill and shows that you're serious and and these sorts of things, um, and 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 also the prime ministers are able to open doors for them, you know, to the people they need to speak mm, to, mm. so it's it's a fairly sort of standard mission, um, <clears throat> but. I think each time, you know, Modi, the Japanese, uh, sorry, the Indian Prime Minister, he's he's conscious of this, and he, but it's not easy for him. You can't reform India. I mean, it's easy for the Chinese. They've got a dictatorship. You just this is how it's going to be, and it's done. You know, you've got to remember, India is also a democracy, um, and it's uh, sure. and, and you know, things don't happen quickly in democracies, and it's 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 problems with poverty are so much more entrenched, you know, especially with that caste system that they have. So it's it's not an easy country, but it, but it's it's still viewed as lucrative if you can get get into it. Um, so that's from the commercial point of view, and obviously it's important from a strategic point of view. Um, you know, we, we used to talk about the Asia-Pacific, and then about five years ago, the language changed and it became the Indo-Pacific, and that was that was a deliberate... <laughs> that was, right. Well, that was a deliberate what, dipping what, of the lid. Whatever that means. Well, well it's the Pacific with India in it, that's you know, right. and, and so, so we're, we're sort of telling the Indians we now think you're a vital part of the region, you know, with mm. us and the Americans and the Japanese and, and so forth. Even though the Indians are nowhere near... The Pacific, that's right. Okay, all right. Um, uh, Phil, it's terrific to talk. Thank you. Terrific, Phil. Pleasure. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.